Welcome to another episode of Expanding Circles, the podcast about everyday origin stories. I'm your host, Jonathan Isaacson. Today, we hear about volunteering in the Galapagos, living in the lesser known areas of the Emirates, and oh mama. Please welcome the first non-American to the podcast, Mr. James Webster Gardner. Welcome to Expanding Circles. Our guest today is our first non-American guest. Actually, our first non-American teacher, if you don't count our boss, but welcome, James. Thank you. Yes, thanks for having me. So, obviously, as we said, you're not from the States, like most of us. So, where are you from? Uh, I'm from a lovely little country called the United Kingdom. Uh, I'm from England, in uh, just south of London, in a place called Epsom in Surrey. Okay. So, like suburban London, or yeah, suburban greenbelt uh, commuter town, whatever you want to call it, similar to where we are now, but a lot greener uh, to the distance of Tokyo as I grew up to London. Okay. So, how was that as a place to grow up? It was a beautiful place to grow up. Uh, you've got the best of both worlds. You're close to the city. Uh, you're in a fairly vibrant town, but then you're also uh, close enough to nature, and you've got all the the lovely green belts and nature walks and duck ponds. Uh, my hometown's actually famous for the annual Derby race, which is a well-known horse racing event in the UK that the Queen attends every year. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that was at the Epsom Derby. Is, is that one, do they wear big hats at that one? They do indeed, yes. Her Majesty's there, you, you've got to dress to your finest. Okay, because I've always seen the pictures from the various horse races in, in England with just the absolute ridiculous hats that people are wearing and just Sure. It's a good day out. Got to go to the races, yeah. Okay. So did you go to that frequently growing up? or? Uh, funnily enough, we used to avoid Epsom that day because uh, it, it used to get very busy um, with lots of people coming over and uh, flooding the town. But uh, yeah, in later years, it used to, we used to go. Um, when I was a bit, bit more grown up and able to enjoy the festivities, shall we say. Understandable. <laughs> Understandable. All right. So you grew up just outside of London. And... Did you go to uh, school in England as well, I presume? I did, yes. I went to a small, uh, a very small private school. Um, it was a Christian school run by the church elders. Um, and I was there for most of my uh, primary and secondary schooling. Um, and then I went to a sixth form college, which is the equivalent of your high school, from 16 to 18 um, in, a, in a college town about half an hour or so away by bus. Um, so that was uh, a big, big shock, big surprise to change from a very small school with limited class sizes to about 2,000 students in, in one year um, where I went to do my A-levels. Um, it was good fun. Yeah, enjoyed it. And then university? University, I actually went to Wales. Okay. Um, so another whole country, but within the UK still. I, mean, I, I know how the UK is set up, but it just it still makes no sense. You I'm have sure. it doesn't four, really, no. four countries, but they're one country. And they're all managed by London, really. So uh, anyway, our Welsh listeners won't like that, if, <laughs> if there are any. Um, but yeah, it, it has its own its own assembly government. Right. So it can make laws for Welsh peoples, Welsh people. Um, but it also is still subject to the Crown and, well, to the Parliament in the United Kingdom, which is in London. So actually, um, I was in South Wales for four years at university. Um and I met lots of wonderful people there. Incidentally, funny story about Wales, being from England, um, 
Both my older sisters also went to Welsh universities, and one of my younger brothers followed me to a Welsh university afterwards as well. So, four English, four English, uh, you know, raised graduates that went to Welsh universities. And what did you study as an undergraduate? I studied. I went to study uh, German and Spanish. Um, as a, a language degree, um, and I came out of university with an English literature degree, having studied uh, uh, modules in American studies and Scottish literature as well. So, a real mixed bag. And did you end up doing much with languages other than English? <laughs> uh, well, that was the aim. It was always the aim to 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 have studied German and Spanish, obviously. Um, there were various other life choices that seemed to get in my way at the time, I think. And um, I'm very glad that I ended up with my English literature degree because um, it's obviously brought me where I am today, finally. But um, it was more of a passion of mine. I think initially from my A-levels, so from my high schooling, I was put off the idea of studying English literature through one of my, my teachers. Um, and I was enthused about studying languages through another teacher. So... She, the German teacher, t- gave me more belief, I guess, that I could do this, whereas the English teacher didn't really see my potential for being an English literature graduate. Um, however, uh, that changed at university, and I, I got the degree I, I got the degree I deserved in the end. Um, we call them tutus, actually. I got a tutu, which uh, we call them a Desmond in the UK. Okay. Make, that would only make sense to any British people listening, but it's for after the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. That's kind of what I was going to guess. <laughs> so what were you, just kind of curiosity, out of curiosity, uh, what were you planning to do with German and Spanish as a degree? That's a very good question. Um, I, I fancied possibly following in my father's footsteps into business. Uh, he was a successful businessman and managing director for a number of years. Um, so possibly sales and business internationally um, in Europe. Uh, I've always had a passion for traveling, so I think that was just a means to an end, really, to, to speak to other people in other countries and other cultures. Um, possibly even the diplomatic service, in hindsight, I, I, I could, have, could have gone down that route. But that ship has now sailed. Absolutely, yep, sailed many years ago. <laughs> it's a, on a different one, and here you are, so with your English literature degree... So yes, what, sir, yeah. So what did you do after you graduated with your English literature degree? After I graduated with my English literature degree, I um, had a passion to go traveling, but obviously didn't have the funds to do so after university. Um, I knew I needed to work. Um, I then took a course in, I took a CELTA course. Um, so I did a postgraduate certificate in CELTA or um, English teach English language teaching for adults, um, and post that I moved back to the family home in Epsom in Surrey, uh, and began a bit of supply teaching or, or substitute teaching to earn a bit of money, <laughs> and then hopefully with the aim of moving abroad. During that time, I realised that teaching in the UK was not for me at that particular point in my life, and I was encouraged even more to save some money and and get abroad. One of my tutors at the time had worked for a company called Nova in Japan back in the day, and she recommended that I apply to them. This was back in 2003. Um, 
And I duly did and had an interview in London. And before I knew it, I was packing my bags for Japan for the first time. Okay, well, we're going to come back to that in a moment. But so what about teaching uh, in England was not for you? What, what, did you real, what did you realize about teaching in England? Well, the difficulty was I was supply teaching for a start. So I wasn't ever really in charge of my own classroom mm -hmm. or able to develop curricula or work within a team. I was kind of called upon last minute. You get a phone call in the morning, fill you with dread because you'd go to notorious schools that obviously needed more teachers because their regular ones were off sick <laughs> for various reasons or mental health days. Um, and they were quite, some of them were quite, let's say violent, quite difficult, challenging schools. Um, certainly with people from uh, poorer backgrounds or, or special educational needs that, that weren't being fully addressed by the schools at the time. And yeah some inner city deprived areas um which which were tough to teach in particularly not being able to, you know being a, a supply teacher only there for the day they see the students tended to see you as just someone in the way that they already got rid of their regular teacher for <laughs> so now we can make this one cry and leave as well um if possible uh, so it was a challenge but um it's it was a baptism of fire definitely learning to teach in those environments um and i i I still had the passion to travel, so it was a case of getting the money in the bank and um, and leaving. I was actually asked to join one of the schools permanently, on a permanent basis as an English teacher, um, because I went there regularly enough that I got to know the head and and the head of the department as well, and they seemed to value something in me. They saw I could do this teaching malarkey, um, but my passion was still to travel, so I turned that down. And then... So back to where we were before with Nova. With Nova, yes, indeed. And you're here in Japan. I flew to Japan. I got indoctrinated in the Nova, Nova way, the McDonald's of English language teaching, um, and quickly realized once again that it wasn't necessarily for me, although I was enjoying Japan. Um, incidentally, my first posting was to live in Kawagoe, um, which later in later years came back to to make me really help make another big decision in my life um, being here now. But yes, my first posting was in Karagoe. I lived there for about four months um, in early 2004. And then I had friends from the UK, from university, um, on the JET program who were slightly further north in Gunma. And I'd mentioned that I wasn't particularly happy with the work, but I was loving Japan. And they suggested I attended an interview for an Eikaiwa or a language school um, near nearest them up in the mountains, um, which I duly did, and then served my time at Nova and got up to those mountains as soon as I could. I fell in love with the place the minute I saw it, um, and that was that was where I stayed for the next two and a half years. How long were you at Nova total? About four months. So just about four months. About four months. Took the visa, got into the country. <laughs> so wasn't there anyone doing that, mind? <laughs> There were plenty of others. So not, not take the money and run, take the visa and run. Take the visa and run. Aye. And got out before they collapsed, more importantly. so. Yeah, the, before Nova went Nova. So he just, did indeed. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah I, I had some acquaintances who were not out before it went. And uh, it was a absolute nightmare to get all their money out of that, I know. Absolutely. So. Well, they were, they were good to me at the time. They paid me everything that they owed me. And 
I think it was towards the end that things got really, really hairy. But yeah, I'm sure, sure. Glad you got out before all that. Absolutely, yes. As yeah. am I. Yeah. And I so, worked for so I, then I worked for a small private language school called um, Vivid Language Institute up in the mountains of Kidu, uh, Kidu and Gunma, and I was living in a small town called Omama Machi. I always quite like the name of that town, Oh Mama. <laughs> I, I do too, because I've been through a couple times up that direction. So yeah, I've been through. That was one of my favorite town names I've seen around here. It's Oh Mama. Oh Mama. There we go. And at the time, it was the last line, the last train station on the line. So I didn't have the problem of uh, missing my station if I ever came back up from Tokyo. Or, you know, I was able to just stay asleep until the train stopped, as it were. That is a useful thing. <laughs> that is a very useful thing. So, okay, so what was that like? That was um, my first real position of autonomy and being able to be completely trusted by management to to teach the way I saw fit. Um, I was doing a variety of different teaching positions, so not only within the language school for children and adults, housewife classes, bankers and businessmen, one-to-one, one-to-five or six in groups. Um, but I also taught in, they sort of sublet my contract to schools, so I kind of did the ALT work as well. Um, a lot of that actually in kindergartens, which was a real challenge, teaching such tiny little people, but actually one that I, I looking back, enjoyed the most out of all of that time. It was It was really good fun towards the end. It was just getting used to teaching such small people. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the high school stuff was good itself and the junior high as well. There were some extremely keen students willing to learn. And I was lucky in that the schools they placed me in also saw that I had a passion for teaching and they didn't just use me as a tape recorder. They asked me to actually lead classes and get students involved. And I think talking to my friends on JET and others doing similar jobs, the ones that got more involved in it and got more out of it and usually ended up teaching themselves. No, absolutely. Because I was, I mean, I was a JET about the same time, actually. Okay. Um, and I was the tape recorder, unfortunately, in the junior high school. But in the elementary schools, that was, yeah, go do your thing. And so, yeah, absolutely. It makes a huge difference to the, when the teachers say, hey, you know what you're doing? Go do it. Absolutely, yeah. Even if you don't actually know what you're doing and you're just faking it the entire way. I always loved the fact that the children here were so um, so excitable. Um, I, I, as an uncle, I'm aware that small children... <laughs> I have eight nieces, nephews and nieces, but I'm aware that small children get excitable. But the, the, the sheer joy on them, on the faces of the little Japanese kindergartners as they were learning various animals or how to count or um, this, that and the other in, in games was, was something that I'll cherish forever. And they all wrote me personalised notes when I left after a couple of years saying how much they'd missed me. So, yeah, it was very emotional, but wonderful, wonderful time. Lots of high fives, and picking them up and down, that sort of thing. <laughs> Not unlike my experience in elementary school. So a little older, but similar experience. Good, good, yeah. School. Did you used to eat dinner with them as well at lunch times? And... Uh, it depended on the school, but sometimes, yeah. Amazing to see them all get organized and serve each other. Yeah. Good old Japan. There is, I mean, cleaning the school themselves, too. Absolutely. So so you do your Kaiwa slash ALT thing for, you said, two and a half years about? Yeah. It, uh, sorry, about two years total. Okay. So I was 
in Japan for about two years, four months, two and a okay. half, two and so half years. Four years Nova, and then two years in. Taking us towards the end of two thousand six. Okay. Yeah. Um, at which point I I was quite happy in Japan. I would have stayed. Um, we had friends that have stayed on since then. Have continued to live here. Um, but a job opportunity came up to go volunteering, um, and I guess I was ready for a, a different challenge. Um, and this was a rather special job opportunity, um, one that I'd not really seen before or since. Um, and there was a small posting on, I forget which website it was now, but one I kept an eye on. Um, and it, it was asking for qualified language teachers to get themselves to Ecuador and fly to the Galapagos Islands to live and set up a program teaching the local people. Um, the Galapagians, um, the park rangers, the children, the restaurateurs, all the rest, um, a language course of English. So, so to set up and run a language course with very limited resources, um, and in exchange for that, the provincial government would pay for us to stay with a host family. So I went along with a, a friend of mine, and we met some other volunteers there from all over the world, so some New Zealanders, some Americans, we were both British um, at the time, and uh, we got to live in paradise. And it truly is paradise. If you ever get the chance to go to the Galapagos Islands, it, it lives up to every expectation and some. My expectation is lots of finches, lots of Darwin's finches. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, lots of birds around. Yeah. The famous ones. Different on each island, of course. Of course, of course. Um, and tortoises. Tortoises. Enormous tortoises. Uh, Lonesome George was still alive when I was there, uh, the last of his kind, so I got to see him. But the, the, the wonderful thing about the Galapagos, other than its surrounds, was that because we were living there as volunteers and we were seen as part of the community, um, we didn't have to be accompanied. Um, many people travel to the Galapagos Islands. You have to have a permit to be there. It costs a lot of money. And you have to be accompanied by park rangers and guides everywhere you go. They don't want people to steal things, touch the animals, all the rest of it. So uh, because we were living there, um, we were encouraged to, to go and explore. And, you know, we often asked, oh, could we go hiking up this volcano or this, there's a mountain trail we've seen? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Shouldn't you come with us? Oh, you'll be okay. You know, you're one of us now. We weren't. <laughs> we often ran out of water. Various adventures occurred. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was truly wonderful, truly wonderful. Incidentally, that program is still running to this day um, that we set up. Uh, and I remember teaching there using very limited resources. And often with the, with this, the kids, the lessons with the kids, we'd just, we would take them to the beach, us and the other volunteers. Uh, and we would you know, be writing alphabet and writing sentences with big sticks in the sand um, as the tortoises walked by and the marine iguanas jumped off the rocks. Truly remarkable experience. That is, that sounds amazing. That absolutely sounds amazing. It was, it was indeed. All good things come to an end, however, and that was uh, a volunteering position. So we needed, uh, I needed to get some money after that, having volunteered for four and a half to five months um, towards the end of 2006 into early 2007. And I needed to find another teaching job, um, and preferably one that paid quite well, because I needed money, cash. 
which led me to working in the Middle East, where I took a position in a, a local high school in a place called Fajera in the United Arab Emirates, somewhere I knew nothing of, uh, thinking only that I'd heard of the country of Dubai. How wrong can you be? It's a city, Abu Dhabi being the capital of the seven emirates, and I was moving to Fajera, which is the only one on the east coast of that country, so it borders the Indian Ocean. Um, and off I went again on another adventure uh, to start teaching in an Emirati high school. And how does Fujara com- compare to, say, the other Emirates like Abu Dhabi, like uh, Dubai? It's certainly a lot less developed. Uh, it's mu- much more natural um, with its mountains. It's quite a mountainous Emirate. The other ones are more desert-based and reclaimed land. Um, a lot of the mountains, sadly, are being cut down and exported to places like Dubai and Abu Dhabi and Qatar to build their big cities and wonderful hotels and reclaimed beachland and all the rest of it. But it has it has its own rugged beauty as well, Fajera. Very, very quiet compared to the other places, a lot less international, um, made wonderful by the community that I met there over the the next 10 years, I ended up staying 10 years, had no idea I'd be there that long. Um, and it was, it's, it's a place that's very fond in my heart to this day. So obviously it sounds like you weren't expecting to be there 10 years. And so how did you, how did you end up being there for 10 years? One contract rolled into another. I was enjoying what I was doing with regards to the teaching, but more importantly, the holidays, being able to travel um, I had made up my mind within that time to put some of the money I was earning towards my own career, so to go back to to get my master's degree. Um, so I then, midway through the time there, so after five years, uh, I was a bit disillusioned with the high school, mainly the management side of things, um, but very happy living in the Emirates. So I was looking at other jobs, and I ended up getting one after starting my master's degree and completing a couple of years on that, I then was able to leverage that into working for a local university on the premise that I was going to finish my master's degree within the first contract at that place. They took me on, um, and it happened to be the building literally next door to the high school I was working in. So I didn't end up leaving the Emirate of Fajera. <laughs> um, but I did go to a much nicer work environment, the, the building over where they, again, allowed us the autonomy to, to teach the way we... You know, they hired us as professionals and they, they saw in us the ability to do what we needed to do and they, and they let us run free to a certain extent with our teaching premise. Um, I was then working for a corporate arm of that federal university. So we taught um, the military, police programmes, various groups within, within the, the college. So we would teach the corporate side of things more the oil and gas companies, the Adnox, the, the, yeah, the Emirates Oil Company. Um, we also taught some, some of the famous airline um, staff, so Etihad and um, Emirates airline staff. Uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful job, a truly wonderful job, and the military program we ran on. Um, during the teaching of the military program, actually, we, I had to get very familiar with teaching American English which may have helped me in my current job with all you other lovely colleagues of mine. 
um, in that we were ta- teaching an American language course placement test, which came straight out of the military base in Fort Worth, I believe in Texas or somewhere mm-hmm. like that. Um, and this test is um, full of idiomatic language and phrasal verbs and various things that were quite difficult for our students to understand. So we ended up developing and writing our own course books for the program and the university based on these American language course tests. Um, We ran successfully that program for the next three or four years and made good gains. So we got a bit of publishing experience as well as uh, teaching experience. And within that time, I was a vocabulary coordinator where my passions led me towards teaching vocabulary and researching vocabulary, which is what I wrote my master's thesis on. Um, and still a passion of mine to this day. Um, during that time, I also then became an academic coordinator. And by the end of my tenure at that university, I had two years under my belt running a team of teachers um, and getting a lot of invaluable experience on the management side of running academic programs as well as still teaching. My passion, however, is still very much being in the classroom, being on the front line and not being in meetings. So I was looking for a change. um, And it came to a time where I'd been there a decade. um, That kind of crept up on me. Uh, It's funny to say that a decade decade creeps up on you, but I'd, I'd been very happy in the Middle East and I've made a lot of good friends over the years. I'd done a lot of good traveling, um, especially blessed to be able to visit my family all over the world where we all live, um, far away, but there's always a lot of love there. And so I needed another job and it just turned out that that was the time for me after a decade. So, you know, started looking. Um, I think the, the college were restructuring too. I could have transferred into the mainstream university from the corporate side, but 10 years is a long time. I'd seen lots of friends come and go, usually on a two, three year kind of contract cycle. As you well know, you've lived here a while as an expat. Um, I definitely needed a change and I wanted to get back in the classroom more. Um, Started looking for jobs, cast a very wide net. Um, Some interesting ones that were possible or were applied for and thought about in Afghanistan, um, also in South Korea where I have my cousin, Canadian cousin who's lived there for 20 odd years Um, and Japan came up and I saw a link once again, as well as jobs in the UK too, because I would at some point like to go back home, Um, not getting any younger and I'd I'd quite like to start a family at some point. Anyway, um, cast my net wide and I saw this job for Japan, this job posting for Japan. The only reason I clicked on it, thinking my time here was done, as much as I had loved my previous two and a half years in this country, um, I, I didn't think I'd be visiting again in a hurry. And I saw a link um, and it said on it, teaching in Kawagoe, near Tokyo. <clears throat> clicked on it purely because that was a town that I'd lived in once before and I just was curious to see what this job was um, and I fell down the rabbit hole I've watched all the videos at TIU and I thought that looks like a vibrant place to work um, and applied for the job didn't think much of it until I heard back had an interview uh, and then did a bit more research about the place 
Uh, they asked me again to have an informal chat as a sort of second interview. And during that time, I was able to ask questions such as, it appears that there are a lot of North Americans working in this place. I'm clearly not one of those. Uh, would I be a good fit? And I guess our directors saw something in me that they figured was was right or good fit. And um, I've been extremely happy here since last September. Well, I have to say that I am glad, as one of those North Americans, to have some linguistic diversity within our staff. Because that's good to hear, sir. We have a lot of of, I mean, not not just North American, North American, but specifically. U.S. American English. I've noticed. Uh, particularly West Coast. Like West Coast American English. It's good to have other varieties represented because, as we know, there's a lot of Englishes. Absolutely, yeah. And Lots of world Englishes. We kind of do our students a disservice to only teach them one flavor of English. So to have even just some examples that we can say, hey, look... They're speaking another version of English, but we can still get along just fine. So it's, it's good to have. Of course. More I think varieties. that, of course, comes out of the, the sister college being in Willamette in Oregon. I'm probably saying that wrong. Willamette. Yes. I was told Willamette. Yeah, okay. Rhymes with something else, I won't say. But yeah, okay. Um, yes, but it is good to see that we have, even this new semester, another, another Brit Canadian with us. Yeah. Um, and, of course, our colleagues from New York and... Other parts of the South as well, down mm-hmm. in Arkansas and Florida. Yep. And, yeah. So we are getting some more diversity in our language. Even within American English, there's more diversity now. And the program is still growing. So yeah. it's, something's obviously going right here, isn't it? <laughs> so hopefully we can bring some more versions in as well. So We'll leave the Aussies out, though. Nobody likes the Aussies. So, well, you can be our, our pioneer. I'll be a pioneer for you, yeah. Hopefully, we can bring, hopefully you'll not be the... First of only two. Hopefully you'll be, you'll be more following. Um, so you've taught in university setting, college settings, sorry, American English college, sorry, uh, settings in the Emirates and in Japan. And What would you say are some differences in the students between, say, the, your school, the Emirates, and here? Yes, good question. Um, I mean, all, all students, uh, they have their own challenges and various motivations for learning language. Um, motivation is a key word, I believe, in, in both countries, in both places I've taught at this level. Um, different reasons for wanting to learn, I find. I think that our Japanese students seem to have an awful lot on their plates when it comes to travel time, um, living in foreign countries, also our international students here, of course. Um, yeah, living in that university setting, I think in the Emirates they they were sent to us to learn for set hours of a day, and then would not really use it, the language that itself um, in any other setting outside of the college. Um, although um, the language of communication in the Emirates is English first, or a version of English, <coughs> with all the international expats living there. Um, and Arabic second, the the culture there they were very uh, separated from the rest of the other expats. So they would live in houses and compounds with their families, 
and you wouldn't really ever mix that often, certainly not in my circles, whereas the expat communities would all meet at country clubs or hotels. Um, here, everyone's a bit more involved in the community and around them, I find. Um, but our students are able to talk in places like the plaza and, and the cafe, the Oregon Cafe, which is a fantastic option or opportunity for them to practice in a semi-real setting um, of using the language, which makes it more viable and real to them. There are still motivational issues here, um, as we all know, but um, yeah, some of those can be put down to tiredness um, and others down to, uh, I guess, hopes and dreams. And we've certainly got some of those amongst us, uh, amongst our students. High achievers, we hope, um, and some that are still finding their way. But we hope that we can teach all the students we have, um, especially the ones just in front of us. <laughs> and not always the ones that you choose, but there you go. There's some sort of quote in there, I think. <laughs> I forget <Somewhere>. it exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess then just kind of one final question. I mean, you already touched on it a little bit, but looking ahead, I know you said you'd like to get back to England, think about family, things like that. Is this kind of a near future, mid-future, long-term future? Well, I'm not getting any younger, Jonathan. So, um, <laughs> None of us are. It can't be, can't be too much in the, in the long-term future. But, um, yeah, I think, I think within five to ten years, I'd, like to, I'd certainly like to have a family somewhere, be that in the UK or be that as a continued expat, which I've been doing for the last 14, 15-odd years now. Um, Somewhere, somewhere, someone is going to make me happy. <laughs> and we'll, we'll just keep smiling and teaching along in Japan until then. Sounds like a good strategy. Just go with what works until it doesn't. Fake it till you make it, right? Or something. <laughs> or break it. Or break it, yeah. Well, let's hope we don't break anything. <laughs> That's, that'd be good. That'd be good. Well, thanks a lot for sitting down and talking with me. Thank it's you. Been, it's been fun. I'm, same this side. So thank you very much. And everyone... Thank you for listening. Bye. And that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions for myself or any of my guests, we have an email account. You can send questions and comments to expandingcirclespodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. One more time. That's expandingcirclespodcast at gmail.com. Things are in full swing here at school, and everyone's busy, but we're working hard to keep this podcast coming to your ears. If you haven't yet, you should subscribe to the podcast at the iTunes Store to automatically get updates. So stay tuned, stay subscribed, and keep listening. I'm Jonathan Isaacson, and you're not. Sorry, Chevy. Sorry, Chevy.